text for this afternoon service is taken from Luke 13, the verses 1 through 19. is God's word to us. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. For those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And after the sermon, you will respond by singing from Psalm 103, the stanzas 1, 3, 4, and 6. Beloved congregation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, if there is one thing that this world longs for, it is justice. There's a constant cry for it. There are a lot of unjust things happening around us all the time. Not just today. The most shocking example is the atrocities committed against Christians and many others by ISIS or Islamic State in countries such as Iraq and in Syria right now and also in other parts of the world. People are driven out of their homes and are killed just because they have the wrong faith, even little children. They are killed in the most cruel way by beheading even. This calls for justice, for those perpetrated to be held accountable and to be punished. But there are many more examples that cry out for justice. Injustices happen all the time. Also in our lives. How often haven't you or I been wronged or treated cruelly? I'm sure you could think of many examples. And so how do you deal with injustice, with cruelty? What is usually our response? Sometimes we become bitter, or we lash out, or we condemn, or we stand in judgment over others and we point fingers 
got to be careful. But do you know what the problem is? The problem is that because of our sin, our sense of justice is seriously warped. And it is totally out of sync with God's judgment, with God's justice. Think about what our human nature is like. By nature, we are quick to cry foul and to stand up for our own rights. Yet we are slow to realize the rights of others. We are good at seeing things from our own perspective, but have a hard time looking at things from another point of view. We tend to minimize or ignore our own shortcomings or culpability, in other words, guilt, but easily highlight the guilt of others. We don't want to know about the things that we do wrong, but about the things that others do wrong. And we don't like to be criticized for that either because that hurts. It's very painful for us to have things pointed out to us, especially when it hits home. And yet, that's what the Lord Jesus does. He points out our sins and shortcomings time and again. He misses no opportunity to have us look at ourselves rather than at others and at the injustices in the world. Why does the Lord Jesus do that? Well, that's what we will look at this afternoon as I preach to you God's Word. We will see that only those who bear fruit, the, those who bear the fruit of conversion will receive true justice. And then the test confronts us with three elements. First of all, they cry for justice. And then secondly, an unexpected answer. And finally, a merciful judge. The connection between chapter 12 and 13 is not immediately apparent. But a close look reveals that there is definitely a line running through the various accounts. For the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 13, or the end of chapter 12, the beginning of chapter 13 have to do with judgment. In verse 49 of chapter 12, the Lord Jesus speaks about the bringing of fire on the earth. Well, do you know what's going to happen at the end of the earth? It's going to be destroyed by fire. That's God's judgment on sin. Fire has to do with judgment. In the final judgment, the unfaithful servants will be destroyed, but the faithful will be rewarded with eternal life. But do you know who is faithful and who is not? What it means to be faithful? In order to know that, you have to be a good judge. You have to know also how God judges. You have to be a good judge of yourself, especially. And so the Lord Jesus says that we can see the signs in the sky and everywhere else, but he asks, can you see the signs in your own life? You think that you are able to judge your own situation and how others have wronged you? But is that really true? Why do you think, for example, that others take you to court? Is it not because you look at things only from your own perspective and not from the perspective of others? You only look at what others have done wrong 
30 days to get this job. You know, in chapter 13, we read that some people come up to him and speak to the Lord Jesus about the atrocities that occurred at the hands of the Romans. They're saying to the Lord Jesus, we are able to read the signs of the time. We are good judges of everything. And look at the times we live. It's a mess. Look at what's happening around us. Look at what the Romans are doing to us. And then they tell him about an atrocity that happened very recently at the hands of the Romans when Pilate, the Roman official, had mingled their blood with their sacrifices. Scholars cannot say for sure what incident these people are referring to. Josephus, a historian from that time, records a number of massacres during this period, but none of them recount this particular incident. And so all we know is what Luke tells us here in this passage, and that's enough. The incident itself is not important. What is important is the way that the people interpret this incident. What is the case? Well, at this point in time, the feelings against the Romans run very high. The people are very upset about the way that they're being treated particularly with respect to their religious practices and beliefs. The Romances were quite insensitive in that regard. Pilate especially was known for his insensitivity. And now something happened which was quite outrageous. For not only were some Galileans attacked and killed, this happened while they were engaged in the most holy of activities while they were offering sacrifices to God so that their blood mixed with the blood of the sacrificial animals. And now they want to know from the Lord Jesus, what do you think of that? Are you not just as outraged as we? You see, it's a cry for justice. They want to stir the Lord Jesus up against the Romans. And that is why they mentioned where those massacred people came from. They are from the same region as the Lord Jesus himself, from Galilee. Perhaps by getting him all worked up about this, he will do something about it. For the Lord Jesus is a man of influence. Crowds follow him wherever he goes. But at this point, they are not so sure where he stands in all this for he has never really come out strongly against the Romans. They want him to declare himself. After all, as a rabbi, he should have a keen sense of justice. They see him as a potential leader who will help them overthrow the Romans. Surely he has to speak out about this. But now, look at his reaction. He does not react at all in the way that you would expect. He does not allow himself to be swept along with their feelings of outrage. He is silent about the incident itself. In his response, he refers to it in passing and then appears to go on to an unrelated topic, almost as if he hadn't heard that. Some commentators believe that he does not want to deal with the issue because he is afraid that he will anger the authorities. 
they say that the very question they ask is a trap to get them into trouble with the Romans. And the Lord Jesus is wise to them. He realizes what they're up to and does not fall for the trick, namely to say something negative about the authorities so that they will become suspicious of him and perhaps even arrest him. But you can be sure that if it would have been necessary for him to say something about the Roman conduct, that then the Lord Jesus would not have been afraid to do so. No, his reaction, although unexpected, is deliberately evasive. And yet, right on the money, he comes to the second point, namely that he gives an unexpected answer. What does he say? He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Do you see what the Lord Jesus did here? He shifted the emphasis of the sin of the Romans to their own sin. And he called them to repentance. Why would he do that? Well, in the first place, please understand that this was very much more courageous for him to do at this particular juncture than denouncing the Romans. For here he is in the midst of a relatively sympathetic audience. Jesus is amongst his fellow countrymen, and he's out to win them. By correcting them, he is in danger of alienating himself from them. They would have praised him if if he would have gone along with their denunciation of the Romans. That's what they wanted to hear. For at this time in the history of the people of Israel, there is great nationalistic fervor. We are approaching something which you might call a war mentality. The climax of which is seen in the year 66 when the Romans finally destroyed the whole city of Jerusalem, including the temple itself. People are in an angry mood. Lord Jesus does not share that anger. It's not that he's not sympathetic. The horrible suppression by the Romans was a terrible thing. And the Lord Jesus would never deny that. If there is anybody that is compassionate about the plight of man, it is the Lord Jesus. Indeed, he came on earth. He became a man so that he could do away with sin and evil and all the horrible results of sin. And so he understood better than anyone else their cry for justice. But the Lord Jesus here is not concerned here with the Roman authorities and with what they did. They are not the ones with whom he is dealing at this moment. No, he's concerned with his own people, with God's covenant people. He is on the way to the cross, to Jerusalem. He is about to give his life for his own people. And by speaking to them about politics at this juncture would not help him a bit. No, the Lord Jesus has to speak to them. Why? Well, he has to speak to them about changing their ways, about repentance. The Lord Jesus is concerned about their spiritual well-being. And 
which is much more important. That's the problem. Well, the problem is that, that they have no trouble seeing the sins and wrongdoings of others. But they do not see their own sins. They're consumed with feelings of hatred and revenge. And they blame their own miserable condition on the sins of others. They have a very keen sense of justice as it applies to others. And indeed, that's human nature, isn't it? That's also your nature, my nature. When there is something amiss, we first look at others and what they have done wrong. And we can tell you every detail and then some. And mull it over on our minds. We're quick to pass judgment, condemn. We should demand certain punishment. And that's the kind of mindset we see at work with the Jews of that day. And such an attitude was especially ingrained with them. An attitude that had the problem with them was that they also thought that God dealt in this way as well. For example, if someone was afflicted with blindness, they thought that it must be because of a particular sin. Even his disciples thought that until the Lord Jesus taught them otherwise. At one point, as we know from John 9, the disciples asked him as they came upon a man born blind, Rabbi, they asked, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And they thought that any affliction was a direct result of a particular sin. You see, they had a wrong sense of guilt and of punishment. That was part of their theology. They did not understand how their Heavenly Father deals with His children. And so He answered them, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. If the Lord Jesus would deal with mankind according to their sins, brothers and sisters, then He would destroy us all. But that's not how the Lord God deals with His children. He wants men to come into insight. He delays his punishment until the time is finally ripe. Oh, sure, there are specific punishments for specific sins. That was the case then, and that's the case today. For example, if you're an habitual drunk, you can be sure that you will die an early death. The same thing is true for those who are promiscuous, who are likely to contact sexually transmitted diseases, including AIDS. And if you smoke or have bad eating habits, your life will also more likely be shortened. And if you are a reckless driver, then you also endanger your life. But it is not so that every disease and calamity is directly attributable to a specific sin. But that's what the Jews thought. And that is why he asked the question that he did. He said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans. He doesn't expect them to answer the question. He gives the answer himself. He says, no. But then he adds, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. In other words, you are not any better 
or any less or more deserving than anybody else, including those Galileans, including those hated Romans even. And you do not deserve any other fate than the same fate as those Galileans who died in the temple. And so you had better repent. Before it is too late. For every sin you commit against God makes you guilty. And in order to strengthen his argument, he recounts another incident. He reminds them of a recent incident when the Tower of Siloam fell upon and killed 18 people. He says, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Why do you think he added that story? Well, the Lord Jesus added this story, story to show that ultimately all judgment comes from God. The killing of the Galileans was an act of the Roman governor, Pilate. The toppling of the tower was, so to speak, an act of God. But ultimately, it makes no difference. Ultimately, it does not matter how you die. All these things happen within God's control. Your lives are in his hands. And so tremble before your maker and repent. That's the message. In this passage, he convicts all those who are standing there in front of him of their great sin and guilt before their maker. He makes them think about how all of them deserve to die because of their sins. He makes them think about how we must be ready every day to meet our maker. Any day can be your last day here on earth. It's a very powerful message, isn't it? Lord Jesus, however, does not just leave his audience hanging there. Thank you. The words that he spoke stung. Perhaps you are also stung by those words. But he doesn't leave them without comfort. These people, they are hurting. They're afraid of what's going to happen to them. Maybe you are afraid too, what's going to happen to my children. What kind of world are our children going to be brought up in? What's going to happen to little Emma, whose life is just starting here on earth? What's going to happen? They see the horrible things that happen in life. The cruelty that men can experience at the hands of others. For that reason, because he knows how we are, the Lord Jesus comes with a parable. He wants them to know that they should not apply their own sense of justice to God. For God is a merciful judge. That's the last point. In order to show them what true justice is all about, the Lord Jesus tells them the parable of the fig tree in the vineyard. The symbolism used here is very familiar to all of us. Fig trees and vineyards have been part of their experience from the beginning of their existence. And they have also seen the imagery applied to them. Prophet Isaiah, as you said already, for example, in chapter 5 of his book, where he spoke about God's people as a vineyard. 
Isaiah writes there that in spite of the tender loving care that the owner of the vineyard, that is God himself, in spite of that loving care that he gave to them, that vineyard bore no fruit. And so he he decided to destroy the vineyard. That's the lesson in Isaiah 5. And that's often the lesson in the Old Testament. And so now the people listening to him would expect to hear the same thing. They were waiting to be condemned. But the Lord Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he adds another element. Whereas Isaiah spoke about the justice of God, the Lord Jesus shows that such justice is meted out with patience and mercy. And that every chance is given for repentance. It's a surprising element. Let's take a closer look at that parable. According to Leviticus 19, verses 23 to 25, you were not allowed to eat of the fruit of newly planted trees for the first three years it produces fruit. We also heard that this morning. Considering that it took three years before a tree would actually bear fruit, it would not be until the seventh year that you could actually eat the fruit. But this man, he had been waiting nine years. And now he is wondering whether or not this tree is any good and whether or not that tree should be cut down. After all, it's only taking up space. It is using nutrients from the ground and not giving anything in return. And so the owner discusses the problem with the vine dresser, the keeper of the vineyard. However, the vine dresser counsels patience. He says, leave it alone for now, sir. Give the tree one more chance. Perhaps if I pay some extra attention to it and dig around it and apply some manure, perhaps then it will start producing fruit. If it still does not bear fruit next year, then you can cut it down. The Lord Jesus is saying, that's how your heavenly father deals with his children. He is patient. He is merciful. He is loving. The whole world may fall apart around you, but no matter what, he will take care of you. As long as you repent. And he also gives you every chance to repent. Also today. For in the end, if you do not repent, you will perish eternally. So, brothers and sisters, these words are words of comfort. And they are meant for you and for me as well. We too are like trees planted in the vineyard. And the Lord God is always looking at us to see if we're bearing fruit. Fruits of repentance. So the obvious question is this. Or are you just taking up space? Are you nothing but a bench warmer here in this church? Do you judge others but not yourself? There are those who are very adept in pointing out the sins of others. This one is not reverent enough. That one? He doesn't know how to bring up his children. This one did, and that one that. And they're also very good at what pointing out 
That's wrong with the church. They're experts at it. At it. But the one thing you will never hear from such people is that they point to their own sin. Is that what you do? Is that how you address your brothers and sisters in the Lord? No, but you can't have critical remarks say what is that building to help one another. That's not the point. But do you have a superior attitude? Do you think that your ways are mostly pure and the ways of others crooked? Do you blame other people for your own predicament and not yourself? Is that also what your children see about you? Do you want to ignore your own sin while being very judgmental about others? Let me ask you, are you willing to look at yourself and see what a miserable, wretched creature you are yourself? Are you willing to admit that you deserve to die for your sins, that you are not any less guilty than anyone else, even your greatest enemies? And do you every day get down on your knees and thank God for the gift of life? Do you humble yourself before Him? And brothers and sisters, only a true believer can have that kind of perspective. An unbeliever, an unspiritual man thinks that every illness and affliction is due to a particular sin. He doesn't understand his own sinfulness. He does not understand that if the Lord God would mete out his judgment right away, that then he would die. For you see, none of us can exist in the holy eyes of God. But as it is, God is merciful. He is patient. He waits. He waits so that we can have a chance to repent. And that is the point of the parable of the fig tree. And that is the point that the Lord Jesus wants to make. The most important point is that we must repent daily. That we must lead lives of repentance. Note well that the parable was left without a definite conclusion. The listeners had to supply it. Did the tree bear fruit? Did the special care accomplish anything? Was the tree spared or was the tree cut down? We have no way to know the answer to those questions. But we can answer as far as our own lives are concerned. The question is not what happened to the tree. But what's happening to me? 